Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by PNC, Grow Up Great, The Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Atlantic Health System, Building Healthier Communities, New Jersey Sharing Network, The Northward Center, The Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, The Fidelco Group, and by Johnson & Johnson. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by New Jersey Monthly, the magazine of the Garden State, available at newsstands. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to Think Tank. I'm joined by my colleague, Nicole Swinerton, senior producer of Think Tank. Nicole, how are we doing? We're doing great. How about you? Doing great. Listen, let's set up this show. This program has three interviews, all about early child care, all about quality and affordable child care. We're joined first by the commissioner of the Department of Human Services in New Jersey, Carol Johnson, then by Dr. June Lei Lee from up at Harvard, the uh, Graduate School of Education, dealing with early childhood issues. And finally, Beverly Lynn, on the front line, she's the CEO of programs for parents dealing with childcare. Set this up, why is this program so important for viewers as it relates to childcare and every other issue related to childcare? My biggest takeaway from this program is um, that each of the three guests all explain the impact of childcare on our economy and how important it is uh, for these childcare centers to get back up and running again safely after this pandemic and, uh, and during the end of this pandemic. So um, I think that for people to realize how important childcare is um, to so many parents who need their kids to go back to childcare so they can go back to work, I think that is the most important thing that we've learned here today. You know, the other thing that really came out for me, particularly with Dr. Uh, June Lei Lee up at Harvard, who talked to us in Boston, um, and, and, and Carol Johnson, as well as Beverly on the back end, the disparities. People were saying, well, the, the COVID-19 is going to equalize things. Well, it didn't equalize things. It made the disparities. It made the inequities. It made the gap, the divide, not just to mention the digital divide. It made it wider than ever. Right. We're now seeing the huge inequities in uh, people's access to childcare and uh, the digital divide, people having um, enough space at home, enough uh, ways to get on the internet at home, all of these different things, um, really it's magnifying the inequities. Not really and who can work digitally? Who has to be on the front lines who can't work that way? By the way, let's do this. Let's thank our funders, which include uh, PNC Grow Up Great, the Terrell Fund, supporting right from the start in Jay. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. The Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Atlantic Health and others, you'll see them throughout this program. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is a think tank program, not just about childcare, but about the implications of COVID-19 on childcare and what that means, not just for those children and those families, but for all of us, everyone. We're all in this together. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Think Tank. Hi, I'm Steve Adubato. Uh, thanks for joining us remotely. We're talking about childcare and related issues. We're honored to be joined once again by the Honorable Commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Human Services, Carol Johnson. Commissioner, good to see you. Good to see you, Steve. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into this. We're taping on the 24th of June. It'll be seen later, but 
there have been grants that your department has, they haven't given out, people have earned them for, to childcare centers to quote, meet health and safety guidelines connected to COVID-19. What are they for and how will they help? Oh, thanks for the question. We actually, the governor announced that as of June 15th, child care centers could reopen um, meeting new health and safety standards. And so um, our colleagues at the Department of Children and Families put out new health and safety guidelines for what child care centers needed to do with respect to ensuring that um, children were cohorted into groups and there was and interactions were limited and minimized so that risk could be minimized in child care centers. What we want to do is make sure parents have confidence, staff have confidence in the health and safety of, um, of returning their children to child care if they need to. And so what our department did was made up to $20 million available to child care centers and summer camps across the state to um, help them meet these new requirements because we recognize that PPE costs money, new extra cleaning supplies cost money, maybe you need more toys so that you don't have as much sharing of toys and, and a host of things like that. So we wanted to make some money available to centers to be able to comply with these new standards. Along these lines, Commissioner, the bigger picture, again, our job is to look at the longer term implications of COVID-19, the job of NJTV News of Metro Focus, our PBS and our region partners and colleagues, they will report on the news every night. They'll make sense of it as well. We look at the longer term implications along those lines. What have been, in your view, what are the most devastating and long-term impacts of COVID-19 on, there's no other way to say it, the family? Look, and it depends we, upon what families we're talking about as well. Yeah, it has been very um, challenging, we know, for families to accommodate um, compliance with the stay-at-home order, and they have done a remarkable job doing it. Um, but families have had to change their patterns. They have had to um, you know, homeschool their children. They've had to figure out if they are essential workers, they've had to carry the strain and stress of being out in the public every day and coming home to their families. Um, there's just been so much stress and strain put on families that we're very anxious and worried about and make and want to make sure that we have supports and services for them. So we have been working, we've secured some federal resources through FEMA, some federal resources through SAMHSA to really build- Hold on, FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management agency. Uh, management agency and the other SAMHSA acronym is, the, is SAMHSA is the Substance Use and Mental Health Services Administration. It's part of the federal Department of Health, and they are the agency that helps us as a state um, with resources and supports for mental health and emotional support. Um, and so we're, we access some funding from them to be able to really build out. We're partnering with Rutgers, we're partnering with Catholic Charities, we're partnering with a lot of agencies across the state to try to be able to do mental health supports for, for frontline healthcare workers, for families, for um, all of those individuals who have really, you know, there are many individuals who had mental health concerns prior to this event that we have worked with, but there are many people who um, may not have been known to our systems who have really struggled through the challenges of what happened during the pandemic. And we wanna be able to reach those individuals. You know, Commissioner, the other thing I'm thinking about that it's not just me, it's many of us in the media and average citizens, the connection, thinking about the connection between the ability to safely go back to work and its connection to childcare and childcare's connection to safely going back to work when a business with the state or and then there were the federal government's approval says it's okay to go back he, under these conditions. So it's a long-winded way of getting to this question. What is the connection between childcare and work and the larger economic issues 
social, cultural, et cetera. Absolutely. And I appreciate you raising that because that is childcare is part of reopening the economy. It has to be. We saw you can't that, just separate it as that issue. No, we saw that during the pandemic. During the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, I should say. We are still in the midst of the pandemic. We don't know that, where we can pray, but we don't know where it's going to go and when, right. as Dr. Fauci often says, the virus will often dictate reality. Go ahead. That's please. right. But at the height of the pandemic, when we in New Jersey and New York were the leading um, uh, incidents in the country, we stood up emergency childcare, a brand new program to provide childcare to essential workers um, that we subsidized um, because we knew that childcare was what it was going to take to make sure that those individuals could be on the front lines. And so childcare was absolutely essential. And the childcare workforce and the childcare centers that raised their hand and said, yes, I'll be an emergency childcare center are part of the story of why frontline workers were able to do the incredible heroic work that they have done. And going forward, we know that as we bring more businesses back online, those businesses are going to depend on childcare to ensure that their workforce can be there. And that's why we have really been focused on helping childcare centers with the resources they need to be able to reopen. We as a state have also committed to, we have continued to fund our subsidized childcare slots, even though children are not in those, in those slots right now, um, but we've continued to fund them so those slots will be available to children as childcare centers come back online and parents make decisions about going back to childcare centers. We also are working with our family childcare providers because, fam because individuals might make that choice going forward. We know that families, the key issue here is for parents to have confidence in um, in sending their children back to childcare, so that they can then also have safety and confidence in going back to work. Childcare has always been about the educational development of children and the economic sustainability of our state. You know, this entire program is dedicated to childcare issues connected to the family. But I'm curious, Commissioner, there are very specific safety measures. Now, you talked about it before. There's social distancing. Here's, here's what I'm trying to understand. In a child care center, if there's more social distancing, it, could the state also say, this is the limited number of children in a child care center. This is how far apart they should be. This is who's wearing a mask or not in September. Again, we're taping in late June. Could all those things be put in place for child cares, child care centers? Mm -hmm. A absolutely. And that is what's happening now. Um, uh, in fact, I went and visited an emergency child care center where everyone's temperature is taken outside. Parents don't actually enter the child care center. They turn their child over to a child, an individual who works there. As soon as the child comes in, they wash their hands. There's a station right inside for the children to wash their hands. They have redone the footprint of their child care center so that that they um, ensure that all of the shared toys are put away in a, in a, in a space so that um, that isn't happening as much and individuals have their own boxes of toys. The children over two had masks on. Um, this is what's happening in childcare now and our colleagues um, at the Department of Children and Families are out working with childcare centers every day to make sure that they can comply with these new guidelines. Commissioner uh, Carol Johnson of the New Jersey Department of Human Services, every time you join us, you not only shed light on these important family issues, childcare issues. You help us also understand what needs to be done moving forward, even though we can't predict what this virus will do. Um, Commissioner, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Steve, for your continued attention to this really important issue for families. Thanks so much. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Hi, I'm Cecilia Zalkin. 
It costs much more to care for an infant than for an older child, and many New Jersey child care centers don't have the funding they need. Because of this, many children in New Jersey don't have their basic needs met. Right from the start, NJ is dedicated to supporting this vulnerable population, children from birth to age three. We know that the early years are the most critical, and we believe that every child deserves a bright beginning and a healthy future. Steve Adubata here. We're once again joined by our good friend, Dr. June Lee, who is senior lecturer in early childhood education at Harvard's Graduate School of Education and senior fellow at the great Fred Rogers Center for Early Learning and Children's Media. Um, Doctor, you joined us for one other segment. You agreed to stay with us because there are a couple of issues I want to raise. COVID-19, as we tape on the 24th of June, and its impact on child care itself, child care centers, overall child care, what should we be most concerned about? I think we need to be most concerned about the way that historic inequalities in child care is now being magnified under the impact of COVID-19. Inequalities in many different areas, but fundamentally at this idea that childcare educators, right, providers, um, particularly those who are serving working class families, um, are historically have struggled with very, very low wages. And we are now in a situation that childcare providers can't dig themselves out of this financial crisis. And it is so critical to think of childcare as a sector, as an essential function of society, not just something that's nice to have, which means that collectively, not just childcare providers themselves, but families and parents collectively have to lend their voice to support, to ask for not just the kind of resources that help them to get by, but the kind of resources that once and for all can correct the inequity. When you have childcare workers who immediately were let go when everything clo closed down, when they are able to actually, in some ca cases, right, they, they have more payments from unemployment than they were able to make at their regular job. There's something fundamentally wrong with that system. And to think that this is the profession to which we trust our children, right? Of, of all the things in the world, this is the profession to which we trust the things we care the most about, our children. Our but most precious resource. That's right. And meanwhile, as, as, as a whole, right, we're not able to support that profession, particularly those who serve working class families in, in lower income communities. But, but doctor, I want to follow up on that. When we were together in Vermont last year at about this time at the Terrell Fund Day for Children, we talked, and this is again, part of our larger childcare initiative right from the start. And Jay, I asked you about policy. So in light of what you just said, this description of childcare and, and it's the implications of COVID-19 on childcare and everything that that means, what appetite do you believe there is on the part of federal policymakers, 
but also state policymakers, governors, legislatures, and I know it's state by state, but it's a national crisis, to actually look at the implications of COVID-19 on childcare and everything you just described and say, wait a minute, we need to overhaul this system. We need to put more money in it while states are struggling to figure out how to balance their budgets. Help us square that. I think policy makers right, ultimately respond to the voices from communities. And I think it is insufficient for the voices advocating for better support for childcare and early childhood education to come primarily from the professional side, whether they're the professional associations or the professors like me. Right? I think the most powerful voices in this discussion are coming from families families who need to return to work, families who are deeply invested in their children, but like all of us needed to juggle, make a living, right? And then being with their children and COVID-19 has made that need right. and that juggling even more powerful. And, and I think families have learned to trust and count on their childcare providers. And so when families across sectors can lend their voice, then, we can increase the receptivity of policymakers, right? If, if that voice only comes from, let's say, researchers, only comes from the professional associations. Or the media. Then, or the media, then it's lost, right? Because every professional association is advocating. That's right. For them, and rightfully so. But I think there's something about the education of young children that brings together constituents from those who work in the sector, from those who are families who depend and trust that sector with their children, but also from the education sector who relies on early childhood education to help to build a bridge so that these children can transition into school and continue to be successful. So we have at least three massive sectors involved that can put the voices together to advocate for the sector that has the least amount of resources when it comes to children's development. Final question along those lines. If the response on the part of federal and state and local policymakers, those who control budgets, those who control dollars that go to um, childcare centers, subsidies, if you will, childcare credits, support tax credits, whatever policy of, uh, options are available, if they say, it's not the right time, we're just trying to get out of COVID, we've lost billions and trillions of dollars all over the place, state budget, federal budgets, et cetera. They say now is not the time. Let them know in the couple minutes we have left what the longer term implications are for these children who do not have anyone. Not, not they don't have anyone. There are very few advocating for them. What are the long term implications for those children if we do not do for them what they need to be done to get quality, affordable child care during and post COVID? To me, I think the long-term implications are not just as children, but to our communities and society as a whole. I think what COVID reminded us and magnified is how, how, in, uh, how the existing inequalities right, and is, is, is magnified by these outside stress. So if we don't invest in early childhood, what that would happen, right? Is not a, that uh, it's not only that impacts the children; it impacts the families, who whose ability to work, 
right, who, whose ability to balance making a living and supporting their children is compromised. And, and, impacts, and impacts the community. Impacts the community, but it also impacts employers too. How right? so? In this, well, the, the ability for families to work, the abilities for family to not continuously worrying and stressing about juggling between work and family impacts the commitment and the productivity of people at work, which then impacts the outcomes for employment. So what we are doing, right, by failing to demand better and do better for the early childhood sector, we're going to not only maintain, but we're going to exacerbate the inequalities, which has been fundamentally the challenge that we're experiencing under this global pandemic. And that includes the digital divide, which you talked about in the other time we had to talk to you. Um, Doctor, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, everyone on behalf of our team uh, and the public television family and, and, and the folks who are very committed to early childhood, the folks at the Terrell Fund and others, wish you and your family all the best. Um, thank you for joining us from Boston up at Harvard. And you have an open invitation to be with us and shed wisdom, insight, and give us important things to think about. Thank you, doctor. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for always bringing these important topics using your platform and medium so that we as a community can talk about it. We're all on it together. Thanks, doctor. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Welcome back, folks. We are, as you can tell, recording remotely. Once again, we're joined by our good friend, Beverly Lynn, CEO of Programs for Parents. Ms. Lynn, good to see you. Good to see you too, Steve. Beverly, let everyone know what Programs for Parents is and why it matters so much. Programs for Parents is a child care resource and referral agency for Essex County. Uh, and we assist parents in helping them find child care. Uh, it could be in their, in their community or where they work. Uh, but the important part is we try to educate parents so that they are informed consumers. In addition to that, we also are responsible for the child care subsidy program on behalf of the state of New Jersey. So in that program, we're serving about 10,000 children here in Essex. So you know, you've been part of our initiative dealing with uh, child care issues, uh, child care centers, affordability, quality matters, together with our friends and partners at the Terrell Fund. We're taping on the 24th of June. Put this in perspective for us. Childcare centers are opening, but there's some anxiety about them opening. There are safety issues. Put that in perspective for us. So Steve, let me just say that the impact of COVID-19 has been very significant. When you shut down an entire industry over a short period of time, that is literally the backbone of our working families. It's, a, it's We're in transition. That's the best I can say. We're in transition. And centers are looking at how to reopen and when to reopen. And there is anxiety. There's anxiety for the child care providers. There's anxiety for the parents as well. Does this also point out the inequities in terms of child care for those in urban communities um, fewer resources, and those who, frankly, and I've often said this about our children, every one of our kids here in Montclair, the wonderful early childhood experience, we're blessed, we're fortunate. The gap getting wider because of this? 
Well, certainly, Steve, if you have the resources, you're a lot, a lot more able to identify and purchase the services that you want wherever you want them. Right. Um, for our inner, center, inner, inner city children, however, um, their pickings are less. Uh, one great thing here in the city of Newark, we have uh, public pre-K in our schools. And they're serving about 7,000 three and four year old children. And some of them in, are in childcare centers and some of them are in, in district uh, school programs. But that still creates a challenge for us because we don't know when and how the public schools will reopen and whether they're gonna be able to have full day pre-K for those youngsters that have been in their program. Now, mind you, we still have parents that have to work. Right. Um, we're pretty certain at this point that many parents are going to be going back to work and not working remotely from home, although I'm sure some will have that some option. Some will, some won't. Some will, some won't. But I'm sure you know from school closing early, someone had to help your daughter with her homework and getting online and doing all of that, and parents were not prepared for that. And quite frankly, to work full time and to also homeschool your child has been very overwhelming. So, so let's fast forward. Because I've been able to work remotely, obviously, we've been blessed to be able to do what we're doing, how we're doing with a great team behind the scenes. Um, my wife does some of her work online and some of it out on the road. But say for argument's sake, we can't obviously predict the future in the fall of 2020. Say things get tight again. and the government, Governor Murphy and others, pull back and say, you can't be out there. Um, and those who are working out there and can't work remotely, they're stuck. And potentially childcare centers could have new rules again, too. Am I, make, am I engaging in um, creating a, a description of things that could never happen, or is that a potential reality? That's a potential reality. And I think if we look back just a few months when all the centers closed down and emergency childcare was established, that was pretty much the, the, what was going on. If you were a frontline worker or a central worker, you had access to any, you had access to childcare in New Jersey. Any other parent that was not in that role didn't, had very limited access to childcare. Even if parent, parents are out there working, again, if we're home and we could do some, because we don't know what's going to happen with the schools. That's right. School-aged children. So my, my question really is this, what happens to those parents if they are able to go out and work? They have to work, they can't do it remotely, but they also can't engage in homeschooling. Isn't that a dilemma? It is, it is a dilemma. It is a dilemma. And parents um, had to really look at how they were going to do that over this last couple of months. Um, I think the only good thing is that it was almost at the end of the school year. Right. But if we have to revisit this in the fall, it's, it's not going to be good. It's so, not going to be good. Let me ask you this longer term. Um, Beverly, you dedicated your life to these children, mm -hmm. to their families. If we do not do what needs to be done for children in urban areas with that fewer options in terms of childcare, what are the long-term implications if, for argument's sake, they're shut down and they can't be there for those kids? Well, you know, Steve, this whole, all this work we've been doing, and you included, was about um, getting rid of that achievement gap. 
You know, there's been a gap for years. You know, we talked about the 30 million words and, and all the great resources children have access to now. Uh, when children are out of school, there is definitely a learning loss. And we don't want that to happen. And it mostly affects children who are in urban settings. Right. And so whatever we can do to minimize that, we want to make sure that we can do. But as you said, if something uh, reemerges, then, you know, we're going to have to revisit this all over together. We're just very prayerful that that That's does right. not happen. Beverly Lynn, who is the CEO of Programs for Parents, has been with us from day one. A whole group of us from the media, not-for-profit organizations, foundations like the Terrell Fund, and others who care deeply about this issue. And it isn't an issue. Child care, as, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox, it's about a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. But Beverly, I can't imagine how much more challenging it would be if there were not folks like you on the front lines. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by PNC, Grow Up Great, the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Atlantic Health System, New Jersey Sharing Network, the Northward Center, the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, the Fidelco Group, and by Johnson & Johnson. Promotional support provided by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association and by New Jersey Monthly. Hi, I'm Cecilia Zalkin. It costs much more to care for an infant than for an older child, and many New Jersey child care centers don't have the funding they need. Because of this, many children in New Jersey don't have their basic needs met. Right from the start, NJ is dedicated to supporting this vulnerable population, children from birth to age three. We know that the early years are the most critical, and we believe that every child deserves a bright beginning and a healthy future.